Hi, this is Tom Capone. I'm with Joan Lee. It is Tuesday, April 9th, 2019. We are at the Oceanside Library for another edition of StoryCorps. Joan, thank you for joining me this afternoon. It's a great pleasure. Joan, we've only had we've had the pleasure of meeting just only a few minutes ago, but in a short amount of time, I've learned that there is a lot that we have in common. And we're going to come back. We're going to leave that as a tease for those who are listening to find out what it is that we have in common. Hmm. Um, but we're going to come back and talk about that, that common thread that connects you and me. But first of all, why don't you talk a little bit about um, your childhood, where you grew up, and how it is that you finally uh, came to settle in Oceanside. So I was a Brooklynite. From the day I was born, my mother and father were watching a doubleheader at Ebbets Field, Brooklyn Dodgers, and it was 1943, and it was Labor Day. And my mother said, I'm going into labor. And then he took her to the hospital, and that's my beginnings. And that was 1943. And that was also um, during the war. And I found out recently by looking at my baby book that my father wasn't at home when I was one year old because my mother had indicated this is a wonderful birthday party. Your oldest sister is so happy. Only if daddy could be here to enjoy it. So uh, he was called to serve even though he had two children. Uh, It was World War II time and he became an officer and we were able to go to officer training and live in Augusta, Georgia and that's where we were when uh, President Roosevelt, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, mm-hmm. died. I don't remember that. I was too young. I was in diapers, and I said, Mama diaper baby, in, in a southern role. Mm-hmm. I understand. This is what I was told. Uh-huh. Uh, but my older sister cried when she heard on the radio that somebody gave her that the president had died, President Franklin Roosevelt. And that was after three uh, uh times of being president. It was allowed at that time. So um, we went back to Brooklyn, and I finished. Um, I went to an eighth grade school, not a junior high school, and then high school, and I don't know. We um, went and used public uh, transportation to go to high school. So I had two buses, a bus pass, and in the morning and and in the afternoon, you show your bus pass, you get on the bus. It was kind of like a nickel or something like that. And it was amazing that my life, I measure in bus rides mm-hmm. because of my eye condition that I have, which is familiar. It runs in six generations of my family called retinitis pigmentosa. And it is progressive, degenerative, and um, passed on to your family members. Has, is that the case with anybody in your family at oh, this yes. point? Yeah. Uh, I have some pictures here that I share. I'm sitting here, my guide dog is on the ground, and my daughter now has a, gra- a guide dog. She also um, came to Oceanside as a fifth grader and completed her education uh, as I did as a teacher. She went to Cortland and became a special education teacher orthopedically impaired were her students and she taught until 2005 and now I'm so proud of her as her blindness set in uh, she became a vision rehab therapist certified and works to help people get 
accustomed to being blind. If uh, that is an amazing story, it it is is a wonderful thing because a lot of people think that blindness is the end of the rope, and we look at it as the next step forward. Mm -hmm. The first step is get a cane and use your tools. Mm -hmm. So when I came out to Oceanside, it was important. First of all. Uh, the education system here was very good. I knew Marianne Johnson, a friend of mine, because uh, my husband was her piano tuner for about, f now it's about 45 years that he, he tuned her piano. And uh, she encouraged, she said, walk over and look at school too. And I fell in love with school too. What's not to love about school too? <laughs> oh, I have to tell you, because when I was at my wonderful school that I loved so much on, uh, in Brooklyn, it was all concrete, mm -hmm. no grass to mm -hmm. be seen. When we played softball, we played in a schoolyard or in a gymnasium. Mm -hmm. And when I saw the greenery and, and the swings, and I, and I knew that the children had a crossing guard. They had cut out <laughs> crossing guards in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was just look for a, a house here, whatever it was. We got a fix-it-up house. My husband did Where were you in work. the... Uh, School two neighborhood. Where were you? Okay, uh, of course, because I don't drive with my vision, I located off Atlantic Avenue where there was a bus, mm -hmm. the number thirty six bus, mm -hmm. and walking distance to the Long Beach Line train, mm -hmm. so that I knew so that. So you you lived on Atlantic Avenue, uh, between Lawson Boulevard, and. Uh -huh. Uh, behind PC Richards, as mm -hmm. people know it now, because right. that store has been there a while, but it wasn't there when I moved in. I've been in Oceanside. So you were near Camp de Bourne. Your kids were yes. close to Camp de Bourne. Oh, Camp de Bourne buses came through my uh, right. my. Um, uh, I'm on Riverside Avenue, so they came through my block every day at camp time. So I, I think this would be an appropriate time to tell our listeners what it is that you and I have in common. Your kids went through school too. That's right. You worked as a monitor mm -hmm. at school too. And I was the principal at school two for 18 years. Right. Our careers never, uh, never we, coincided. Never crossed, no, never no. coincided. No. But we both seem to share a, um, a love for school two. Right. And besides that, I consider myself, and I know you do too, we're educators forever. Once you have the bug to share information with people and learn from them, and give back and forth. We have that in common. Mm -hmm. I know that. Because yeah. that's why we're sitting here together right. today. Right. Because we have something to share. Well, we are here to hear your story. This mm. is part of StoryCorps, which uh, I should share with our listeners. The mission for StoryCorps is to preserve and share humanity stories in order to build connections between people mm. and to create a more just and compassionate world. Okay. And by sharing your story, I think we're doing just that. So I thank you for your contribution to the StoryCorps um, mission. Okay. Thank you for that. When we sat down to talk, uh, before we actually started taping this conversation, you told me something that I find that's just amazing to me. You, um, with your, your guide dog, mm -hmm went on a train from Oceanside into Long Beach. Yes. Tell, just kind of retrace okay. the steps. Yeah, so we, we uh, took the train. First we walked to the Oceanside stop because that's closer. And when you're a disabled person, people should know this, or senior, you can get your ticket on the, on the train. Mm -hmm. Picked up a ticket going to Long Beach, three stops, then walked to a doctor's appointment, which was on the west end of Long Beach on Park Avenue, all the way down, mm -hmm. got there nice and early, 
And then when we finished, we decided, I decided that I would take the bus home so I could go back to the station and pick up the number 15 bus. Now, I've been an advocate of public transportation throughout my life because that's the way I got around. Mm -hmm. As I uh, mentioned to you that when I went to high school, I had to take two buses in the morning, change buses, get a transfer to another bus. And uh, to me, uh, waiting for a bus is not a big deal. I don't care how cold it is. If you dress right, you can do it. And um, you can get there. And it's very reliable. And I was absolutely heartbroken. And I wrote an article about the bus that I lost from Oceanside that went from uh, Freeport through Oceanside and East Rockaway, because mm -hmm. I live on the East Rockaway side of Oceanside. Mm -hmm. um, I used that bus for 40 years and then lost the bus because there was uh, a change of ownership of the bus. It privatized, and they decided they weren't having enough uh, users of mm -hmm. the bus. So I've gone to the legislator uh, and talked because they cut off 10 buses, and then they restored some of the buses. But they didn't restore this bus, and that was my link to changing buses to like the bus I was on today. I'll have to walk home from the library. Doesn't the town provide any kind of transportation for those with uh, with no. handicaps? No, no. Uh, the town of Hempstead, if you go to their, their centers and they have outings or something like that, and you can go shopping with them and all that stuff. Mm. And uh, the town of Hempstead, by the way, I, I am very appreciative to the summer program, the enrichment program for seniors. Mm. The last uh, few years, Iggy and I, my, Iggy is my guide dog. Mm. And by the way, she just turned 11. <laughs> on Sunday and uh, so during the summer we go to the town of Hempstead Lido Beach Park mm -hmm. uh, twice a week and I do get a bus if I go to the senior center and pick it up at the senior center okay. on Rockaway Avenue but um, for every day uh, if people go to certain community centers they can possibly have uh, a bus mm -hmm. but um, I'm used to the independence of paying my fare I am also eligible for the ABLE ride, which is door-to-door -door service in Nassau County. Okay. So that that's a possibility. Mm. It's a little um, more expensive. And you also <laughs> have to go wherever the bus driver's manifest reads. So one day I was in Jericho and we ended up in uh, a cemetery called Pine, <laughs> Pine Lawn. I mean, if the bus driver has right. to go and pick up somebody there. Whatever now, it is. Now, if I had an appointment to meet somebody at... 1.30 or a speaking engagement at 9.30 in the morning, I have to hope and pray that Able Ride will take me directly, mm -hmm. <laughs> that I will get there on time. Say, with a line bus, you just take a bus that leaves earlier, mm -hmm. and you're there. And or you call a friend and say, would you like to go to one of my speaking engagements with me? And I've been doing that because I didn't fulfill my uh, dreams as a teacher long enough because I worked for my husband for 50 years as his secretary in the piano tuning business. And I made a business. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was a great technician, but he did not know how to tell time, to be on time, and to route him. That and was your that was my your, oh yeah your responsibility. And my responsibility, and I did it in all uh, boroughs. That's how I got to know people from this area of Oceanside. Um, we had piano teachers. Uh, and then they would recommend it us, and it was like a mushroom, and our business just mm -hmm. grew over the years. So my practice was in Brooklyn, and uh, uh, 
Nassau County first. When we moved out here, I said, let's go to Suffolk County instead of New Jersey and not deal with bridges. So I made the plans, and then we, we kind of um, fell into a very nice time where, like, on the summertime, we could go traveling in, in a van with our children and have our own uh, personal enjoyment of the Catskills or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. This is when we lived in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. When we moved out here, there was so much handy handiwork to be done on an old house that my husband wasn't willing to go there. So uh, rather than to have my kids stay near Lawson Boulevard and ride bicycles, which would right. scare the hell out of me, I uh, enrolled them at music and art camp uh, out in Suffolk County, mm -hmm. and they took a bus out there. It was a yellow school bus, and it was a great experience for them to major in music and art and dance. And that's what my children did and loved about Oceanside, because the programs in the high schools was a place also, the theater department. Our students the, the thrive band. in those programs. Uh, oh, yeah. and, and when I found out in that they were going to put it on the cutting board in Brooklyn. No more music classes, no more art and all that. I said, I can teach, I'm a teacher. I can teach my kids how to read. I can mm -hmm. teach them how to converse. Uh, of course, in those days, there weren't computers. Uh, that they learned themselves uh, and keyboarding and all that. Right. But they got a great liberal arts education in Oceanside mm -hmm. and our, the move was Always, I thought, a great plus. And they both finished state universities um, for their uh, their work. My daughter as a teacher and my son went to Stony Brook as an engineer. But he got a job working as a manager of a music store, which he's still doing mm -hmm. for 26 years. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's close to 50 already. But he had a glorious musical uh, time doing marching band, mm -hmm. competitive marching band, which led to competitive uh, drum corps, and it made for a very exciting life because we always had in the house always. classical music because uh. my husband is a concert pianist and piano tuner, and that's another reason why uh, I didn't accept the Steinway job of being a piano tuner for Steinway. I said my husband needs time to make his own concerts and to play the piano, and mm -hmm. he's done it. He's done it at uh, libraries around uh, Nassau County and uh, some of the churches, um, Lincoln Center. He, he's had a nice career of playing the piano mm -hmm. totally um, by himself, solo. And that requires some practicing. Does he still play? Up until recently. Now, mm -hmm. now not so much. Mm -hmm. And he said to me, he has reached his American dream. He came to this country so he had to play the piano and get the scholarship, which he uh, where, where did he emigrate from? Uh, at the time, he was born in Japan, uh, but his father took him to, to Korea without his mother. So he was separated from his mother at four years old, mm -hmm. he and his younger sister. Mm -hmm. And he grew up, and music was his escape. Classical music was in his genes. His father was a violinist, his mother was a guitarist, mm -hmm. and he uh, used the piano and Western music and a movie called Carnegie Hall and said, I want to go to America. And he had the opportunity, because of a man named Seymour Bernstein, who discovered him 
first as a piano tuner. He was a, a, a Korean War veteran, Seymour was. Mm -hmm. My husband had to do three years of Army service at Korea before he could accept the scholarship that Seymour had prepared and housing and all that for New York. Mm -hmm. So my husband was, without me being married to him, five years as a student um, in New York City. Did you meet in college? Oh, that's the cutest story. <laughs> the, uh, my mother needed a piano. I wish everybody could see the look on your face okay. right now. It's your very face, funny. Your face just lit up. Uh, it's very funny because uh, my mother needed a piano tuner. She, her piano tuner had passed away. She said to me, you're in college. Find a piano. To ask your music teacher. I asked my music teacher once. I asked him twice. And then finally, <laughs> he said, I know somebody who's a student, and uh, he might go to Brooklyn. Of course, my school was CCNY mm -hmm. in Manhattan. And he said, my mother said, I call this person. He doesn't speak English. How is he going to find Brooklyn? So she said, she, she asked the question that she says, you'll go get him and bring him to my house in Brooklyn so that he can tune the piano. So I went to uh, West 57th Street where he was working at Alien Piano Company at the time on uh, summers and weekends and uh, got him to go on the Utica Avenue bus. And guess what? After the, the subway, he proposed to me. Wait, wait, wait. A half an hour after he knew me, he proposed to me. A half an hour. That's I was going to say, how many times did you see each other before you knew? Uh, okay. But it was a half an hour. He, 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 he proposed to me, and I had told him that I couldn't see you when we went down to the subway to get the train first, that I needed to hold on to his arm. It was rush hour. It was mm -hmm. after hours, 5 o'clock, mm -hmm. and dark, and it was the fall. And I said, I have to hold on to you, or I'll be walking with somebody else, and you <laughs> right. won't know Brooklyn. So, so <laughs> I got onto his arm, and then first we were on the train. By the time we got on the bus, he proposed to me, the second part of the trip. And, and then I did not tell my parents. Uh, all I told my mother is, here's the piano tuner. <laughs> and, when and, did you tell them? Okay, so what happened was, my father was out bowling that night. He came home from bowling, and the piano had been tuned, and my mother fed. Did you did like the way the piano oh, yeah. was tuned? Oh, yeah. My okay. father was a trumpet player. <laughs> well, that was a he, good sign. Tears. Tears were ruling down my father's really? eyes. Oh, yes. And uh, and he played the piano. He only always plays the piano. He's a musician's mm -hmm. piano tuner. And he only uh, plays the music after he... The piano is in tune. Mm -hmm. And then everybody came into the living room. My father, my sister lived in the house, my brother-in-law. Um, he gave a little concert. And then we went back to New York City, mm -hmm. where we both lived. Yeah. I lived in Harlem at the time on 130, uh, 145th Street. My school was on 135th. Mm -hmm. And um, I started to date with him and go out with him. And the next thing I know, my husband says, uh, we need to buy tickets for Vladimir Horowitz's concert for these two ladies that he, he, he knew. Mm -hmm. They didn't want to stand online. And in those days, Mr. Horowitz would only sell two tickets at a time. So the lady said, if you get tickets for us, two ladies, we'll give you two tickets. So my first date was at 11 degrees night weather, standing online overnight to get tickets for Vladimir Horowitz's return to uh, concertizing in New York. Mm -hmm. 
and that was 1966. Then we were married in 1967. You've been married 52 Almost years. 50, 50, actually, we just made 51 in January. Well, that, is, that really is a, a wonderful story. So let me ask you the question, and I'm sure people ask you all the time, what is the, um, what is it that helps to make a marriage so successful? You've been married 52 years. What can you impart to those who are... Patience. Uh, Patience. Patience is very important, and um, and respect for what who that person really is. Mm-hmm. In other words, not only um, what is that person going to do for me, but uh, how can I understand to understand um, how to make your life in your home comfortable, knowing that somebody suffered as a young person. I had a great childhood. He didn't. Okay. Mm-hmm. There, there were certain things that I knew he couldn't give me. He didn't know gratitude. He didn't. He didn't know that. Nobody ever taught it to him. And um, he had different ideas about child rearing, coming from an Asian background. And however, the common things that people have, when you always look for the things that you can share, mm-hmm. would be musicality. Mm-hmm. Love the love for music. Universal. Not always. Not always the same music. For instance, I'm a jazz band, a jazz uh, person. Mm-hmm. He's completely classical. If I tell you that in the 60s, I didn't know the names of the Beatles, and I didn't care. because You're, I, you're talking to a Beatle fan here. Okay. I can't believe this. I, I understand this. <laughs> I learned it from my son-in-law and his children because he taught it to his children. Mm-hmm. So I learned it later on. Mm-hmm. But um, I would play my records, my Ella Fitzgerald records, and Frank Sinatra records and other, other things like that. He didn't care for them. And by the way, as a piano tuner, he tuned for Richard Rogers and Hammerstein and uh, the Metropolitan Opera in the city, uh, the chorus people and all that. But he was so um, uh, focused on tuning the piano that names never meant anything to him. And then when the King and I came back, for the time, uh, the, one of the last times that it had come back, I called up Mrs. Rogers, mm-hmm. and I and I said, uh, she told me to call the office, the Rogers and Hammerstein, and I said, could you please give me two tickets? And I, I liked the way that I got my two tickets to go to Horowitz, and uh, I'll buy two tickets for, and the whole family walked down our street and went to see. Uh, a beautiful Broadway show, which my husband never even thought of asking for or going to. Which to, one? It was um, the one you've got to be taught with uh, the uh, the bald man. What's his Yul, name? Yul Brynner. Yul Brynner. His last performance. Really? Okay? Before yeah. this was 1960. No, 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 no. no. 19. He did a second performance. It was his, his last one. His later one. Uh, so we were in the house in 77 oh. in Oceanside. So I think it was about 79. Oh, oh. Yeah. Matter of fact, he had lung cancer because mm-hmm. I had seen Yul Brynner talk about cigarette smoking because he had started smoking when he was like 13. And he mm-hmm. was like campaigning against cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, big time. Mm-hmm. But he did a great job. And the family went by train into the city to see that show. And I, my husband knew about American movies because his uncle had a movie theater in Taegu, Korea and he knew that he didn't want to marry a person f- from the Asian background. He wanted really? he wanted an American person 
because of the movies that he was uh, concentrating on all the years to mm-hmm. to make his his dreams come true. And now he says his American dream is uh, has you know come true and all that. But he's very sedentary and he's not doing well enough. Since he stopped playing the last concerts he did at Jericho Library, he did three standing ovations, three concerts. How long ago was this? 2015. Mm-hmm. But, but, um, how, how old is your husband? 81. I'm mm-hmm. 75. Mm-hmm. So we're five years different. My father is 91. I know. And he says that the secret... To marriage. No. Well, to longevity... Yes. ...is to keep moving. Absolutely. So I, I say that hearing your, your, However, your husband is 81. Uh, yes, well, he was moving up until this time because I said he was a mechanic of, mm. of, of the piano. He could right. get under a piano and pull the pianos apart. Right. He also built our house to modernize it enough. He, for he us. did the work. He, he built a whole front porch and put in skylights mm-hmm. and put in all the heating system in mm-hmm. our house. He did all his... Who do you know as a concert pianist does car mechanics we always bought old cars the children got cars uh-huh. when they were able to drive because uh-huh. oh that's another thing that Oceanside had Brooklyn didn't have it was um, driver education mm-hmm. right. so when the children were of age it was they were entitled mm-hmm. and they were taken you know right. with a dual control car yeah. So it was amazing. That's how I learned. Yes, yeah. but we didn't have that in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. My mother didn't learn how to drive until my father passed away. So how did you uh, arrive at at Oceanside? What what was it that attracted oh, you to Oceanside? I'll just tell you. My friend Marianne Johnson, uh, uh, from at the time she lived in Windsor, right mm-hmm. near school too, mm-hmm. and I went that day. She had two young sons, and I had. Um, uh, two young kids and I took my kids out with me while Kong was tuning the piano. We used to go uh, shopping, food shopping out in Oceanside and when she showed me school two. That was it? That School two sucked me in <laughs> like like you wouldn't believe because of the green grass. Seven acres of beautiful green yes. grass. And yeah. I heard that it had uh, um, you know I don't really know whether we walked in but it also had an auditorium. That was important yes. to me. There are a lot of schools that don't have auditoriums, and I think students need to be learned to be an audience, mm-hmm. and Brooklyn schools did. They all had good pianos, and and uh, uh, but this school no, had I, I agree with you. I think that was one of the things that I used to say to the boys and girls all the time about the appropriateness of, of, of how you behave. Yes as a member of an audience because we used to invite guests in all the time and programs and they were in the auditorium as guests I mean as uh, members yeah. of the audience showing our guests how they appreciate what they saw and what they heard Absolutely. through applause and applause only so that's something that we try to teach our children I remember once <laughs> uh, when Sandy was learning the piano which was the instrument that got him going towards wind instruments later that's my son mm-hmm. and they were doing a talent show at uh, school too, and the the the, uh, the principal said you can play one movement, and he and he looked at it. He says, "No, I have to play three movements." Mozart wrote three movements, so uh, so they said, "Oh, the kids won't won't they won't be able to sit through it, right?" Yeah. And he said, "They will." Huh. And guess what? They, they did. did. Yeah. yeah, you know, don't underestimate your audience. Mm-hmm. Right. My hu- my husband went. My father was teaching in a junior high school. Kids never heard classical music. He played a full 
45-minute program without an uh, intermission. Mm -hmm. And he said, you could hear a pin drop. This, you know. So I always say, never underestimate. Like, I remember uh, Sandu did in school too, uh, Pinafore. They did the opera. The boys were all dressed up in these things. Mrs. Pollock was the teacher. Mm -hmm. you she, no, that was she, before me. Oh, yeah, she was there forever. Uh -huh. Even as a substitute, she came in. Uh -huh. And the kids did this, you know, Italian pinafore-type thing that mm -hmm. in English. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. I mean, the mm -hmm. same little boys who play football, uh, unfortunately, mm, if they don't, we don't have music appreciation in school anymore. We really have either performance... And I think that's like... Joan, I'm, I'm going to disagree with you. Yeah, we have it now. I am going to tell you that Oceanside values their their program, their fine arts. Okay. Fine, that program, that department, um, under the leadership of, of Bob Race, it really does such a service to the, the boys and girls of, of our community okay. from kindergarten all the way up. Our music teacher in, in each of the elementary schools, but I'm talking specifically about school too, what it is that she teaches kids about music at a very early age, they are understanding how okay. about notes, about reading music, about how songs are, are written and constructed and how Good. each instrument plays a different part of, of a song. It really is an amazing process. Yeah. Well, we do get performers. We get mm -hmm. great performance classes. But I'm talking about general music. People, no, I'm talking about general music okay. also. And, and in the classical vein. It doesn't mm -hmm. have to be that they're listening to the same music that they're going to listen to on their uh, equipment. Right. Yeah. As long as it's something different. I, I think that Oceanside is... Good. I'm in glad a we're wonderful doing place, that. Yes. Oh, yes. I'm glad we're still doing that. Joan, let me ask you... Um, you talked about being a public speaker. Mm -hmm. So let's shift gears just a little bit now and talk about what it is that you're doing okay. and who's benefiting from from your experiences. Okay. Well, you know, if you have lemonade, if you have lemons, you make lemonade. Mm -hmm. I believe that. Mm -hmm. And when I got my guide dog 20 years ago, I was so appreciative that I wanted to give back and I joined the Speakers Bureau at the Guide Dog Foundation, which is also America's vet dogs. So not only do blind and legally blind people get dogs there, but we prepare dogs for veterans and first responders. Mm -hmm. That would be policemen, firemen, mm -hmm. when they need them. So uh, it's totally dependent on fundraising. When, when you say policemen and firemen, when they need them. Yes. As they get a, disabled. As a result of disabilities. Disabilities. Yeah, yeah. Work related they can disabilities. Apply. They can apply, wow. yes. So, so we have a website, Guide Dog uh, Foundation. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, I go around all kinds of organizations. I've spoken to the uh, Kwanets, the Kwanis Club, mm -hmm. uh, in Oceanside alone. Yeah. Um, uh, but to schools. Libraries. To schools. Uh, libraries, I haven't done any. Mm -hmm. um, uh, engagements yet, but colleges mm -hmm. um, and organizations, as they request, they have to put the request in for Nassau County because mm -hmm. they're basically based in Smithtown, it is Suffolk County that is the the crux of all, all the busy stuff. Mm -hmm. I kind of take care of almost everything in Nassau County, as mm -hmm. speaking, um, private schools, public schools, and of course. 
part of it is education, and I was at East Meadow High School the other day. I just learned that they have an honor society for music. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. That's new for me. <laughs> and uh, they were inducted, and sometimes the students do fundraising and um, present in, in order to, ha to get a guide dog ready. To name a dog costs six thousand dollars. So, what do you mean? What do you mean to name a dog? Okay, underneath the table. Right. Who's sleeping? When he, I call her by, by the name, way, he has not moved. No. In the half an hour that girl. we've been talking, she has not right, moved. Right. No. And and this is the way she is on a plane. Mm -hmm. and this is the way she has been trained. Mm -hmm. First, by uh, being bred for the job. Second, being in a puppy raiser's house who taught her social behavior mm -hmm. and a little more leniency in terms of who can pet the dog and who can touch the I'm, dog. I'm sorry to interrupt, but you, you've had her 11 years? No, she's 11 She's years 11. How long, you have you, how long have you yeah, had her? You only get the dog when they're about 18 months fully trained. So 18 months they've been educated mm -hmm. and they have gone through things that you might go through. And then they go through professional training at the school with a trainer who decides uh, that dog is going to be a guide dog, or they have decided if it was going to be a service dog for veterans earlier because now the puppy raising for veterans is done in prisons. Mm -hmm. And we have prisons all along the East Coast, and we have 1,500 volunteers, which I am one. Not only am I an alumni of, uh, or an alumnus, which should mm -hmm. it be? Okay. An um, alumnus. An alumnus, yeah. yeah. Uh, of uh, Guide Dog Foundation, which is in Smithtown. Mm -hmm. uh, but the prisoners take the dogs for 15 months. Weekends, they have volunteers to take the dogs out and socialize them in malls and, and in stores and in places uh, so that they are not freaked out at all different sounds or things like that, all different uh, feeling. Mm -hmm. But if, if the dog will be trained later on, um, the heavy-duty training is done by a trainer at the school. And that's a three-month How long period. have you had your, your dog? Okay, so I got Iggy when she was 18 months old. I went to school 10 years ago. It will be a 10 years in November that I've had her for 10 years. So she was 18 months old. How, how long of a training period was there for you and her to get acclimated? Okay, that's very good. I, it's all bonding. It's based on bonding. Right. First of all, feeding, feeding, like any other... Right. Uh, animal. Um, and also sleeping in the room with you, uh, mm -hmm. making sure they know your smell, mm -hmm. and also not letting other people give your dog commands. Only you can. So when I came home from school, which was at that time three weeks, now it's two weeks. They, they, they made it, I think, shorter because we have more veteran classes. It's about a year and a half time for a veteran to get a dog now, a year to a year and a half especially since Sully, you saw the, the dog that went from President uh, Bush mm -hmm. to the hospital to become a therapy dog. Right, right. Yeah. So um, there's been an increase in, in the number of applicants on the side of the veterans. So a class is two weeks mm -hmm. at the campus where you think of nothing else but bonding with your dog. Should you go home afterwards? So this is not done initially in your home. It's no. done... No, only the puppy raising is done in a personal, at graduation, mm -hmm. when, when I go to the school for two years and they decide, the faculty of the school decide, the staff decided that they're going to match the dog with you. And then when they decide which dog it's going to be, 
you go home with that dog. And then if you're local, they'll come and visit you. If you have any problems, it's not done. It's mm-hmm. not a done deal. Right. There, there are changes. Sometimes there are mismatches. Uh, as I said, I've had four dogs. This is the first dog that I had for so many years. One of my dogs became a therapy dog for military and mm-hmm. did a nine-year uh, stint as a therapy dog. He was in the wrong job. He, he didn't do well as a guide dog, but he was a good service dog. Mm-hmm. So they re-educate the dog. They mm-hmm. can do that, mm-hmm. but they can do this because the dogs are bred for it. Right. So I go and speak to people about the independence that a specialized, trained dog can bring to a person's life and bring them into life. I have to ask the question, Joan. While you were waiting to be matched up yes. with your dog or dog, different yes. dogs, what, what do you do? How, ah. do, you, how do you get, get by? In that, the- that's a great question. And before you can get a guide dog, if it's a visual thing, you have to be trained with a cane. Mm-hmm. And that is done by another professional who I have great respect for, Mm -hmm. which is an orientation and mobility instructor. Mm -hmm. I did that with Helen Keller in Hempstead. I went through all the streets of of Hempstead with a cane Mm -hmm. and with a a person behind watching my back Mm -hmm. until the last day and they they said, okay, now you find the way back to Helen Keller Center Mm -hmm. and you know. So you cross your streets because dogs don't know lights and Mm -hmm. all that. By learning from an orientation and mobility person when it's safe to go across, potentially state. Now, that didn't include at that time when I took it in 1978 for the first time, my cane training, that there would be turning right on red lights for, for cars. Now, the dog won't let me go across the street unless she hears nothing mm-hmm. that she knows I could cross. If she hears or sees a car turning, she's on the left side of me, mm-hmm. she won't move if something is coming at us. So the dogs are, are taught to uh, detect bumps in the street, to detect all curbs, all stairs, all sides. Like today, I'm, I have some vision still. There's a yellow line on the side of the train. That's the side that the dog is on, mm-hmm. not the human being. And the dog, if necessary, will sacrifice its life for a person. It's incredible. It, it is. I have such, such, my, my teachers, they are teachers of first dog training. You know, they work with the dogs to get the dogs ready for us. Mm-hmm. I went to uh, Queens. I went on the train to near the uh, Mets station, mm-hmm. Mets field and um, into the city and, and then some of the towns in Suffolk County, Hunt, Huntington has become a big hubbub. Mm-hmm. Uh, we train there, we, we train at um, all kinds of places so that you're comfortable and in the city to go down steps. Mm-hmm. There are some dogs who don't want to just, they have to be excused from the program, then they can be adopted out. You're, but, you're, you're reminding me of uh, 60 Minutes, about yes. two months ago. I don't know if you saw, oh, the, saw the segment one. of the architect yes. who lost his sight. Yes, from San Francisco. From San Francisco. It was amazing, wasn't it? It was truly True. amazing. And then he came back and he designed the whole building to be correctly 
useful to the to the people who were going to use the facility. So as you were describing, I love that. As you were describing your your experiences and how the the dogs are trained and, and what you need to mm. to feel for, and it hit part of his design of of the the building, building. was to change the um, the, the um, texture yes. of the floor. Sure. To make it more uh, tactile. more tactile right. for the right. guide dogs. It's not good enough to just fill, put a yellow. A lot of the things that we've done for the right. ADA laws since mm -hmm. 1990 are for wheelchairs. Mm -hmm. They make everything flat. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't help a blind person. That's right. You right. can fall off the edge of the right. platform. Right. Right? So that's why they had to train, train, train the dog to stay on that side of the thing. Because very many of the tactile... Things are not there. They're just so. Painted. I'm wondering. I mean, that that uh, episode was mm. focused on him yes. and that particular building. Yes. But because he designed that particular building, um, it doesn't mean that that's the only building that is uh, well suited for people who have this handicap and no. condition. No. So I'm wondering if all this new is architecture. This is he was an architect before he lost his. Son. I know, but my point is, I'm, is all new. Um, all buildings that are that are being designed now are they following? <laughs> are they bound to follow that sort of design? Uh, not his design per se, but there are within guidelines of the state. For mm -hmm. instance, there has to be braille on the elevator. Mm -hmm. uh, right, matter right. of fact, I went to Northport and I found out that the bathrooms didn't have braille, and and I had and the letters weren't raised that said men or women. I couldn't believe it. That was a. a a federal hospital, mm -hmm. and uh, I mentioned it, and I mentioned it to somebody, and I spoke to a, a, a. Now there's another field which is also educating. It's called vision rehab therapist, who worked at at Northport, and she said, Joan, I want you to know that when you come back this year for White Cane Day, because first we celebrate the White Cane with mm -hmm. the with the blind veterans mm -hmm. there, uh, you'll notice that on the bathrooms there will be tactile. That when you see, you know, women, you don't see a pic. I mean, a blind person can't see whether the picture is a woman or or, or, or whatever, or a handicap or whatever sign or something like that. They have to feel it. Mm -hmm. And uh, this gentleman uh, was amazing. And then recently, mm, they had racing guide dogs, which I have a little problem with that because. They used it as a relay race, and they used three dogs. You must have seen that in a marathon, mm -hmm. a New York City marathon. The guy used this mm -hmm. blind guy who happens you, to be... You were against that? I have, I have questions uh, in terms of... He mentioned he was going to retire his dog, his three-year-old dog. Mm -hmm. And I said, he's the CEO of that company, which is another, another guide dog school mm -hmm. upstate. And I'm wondering, isn't three years... A little. He, did he wear out that dog? By you know, I'm wondering. Right. Okay. Right. Is the dog meant to run uh, that long? So that's why they used three dogs mm -hmm. in that race. Mm -hmm. They did use three dogs. So they were they were aware of, of the wear and tear on an animal. But that was also a guy too, who was a CEO of a guide dog school upstate New York. Joan, I, I have to tell you that we could we could keep talking forever. Forever. It, it has been fascinating meeting you. Listening to you, sharing with you, and and I wish that we had another forty-five minutes. But we really we've we we've been it? talking almost forty-five minutes now. So in closing, um, I w first I want to thank you for being a part of this, and okay. I I really feel um, proud to be able to be part of a process that allows you to share your story with others. 
and I know that uh, many will benefit from what you did share this afternoon during our time together. Is there anything that you would like to share in closing? We have about 30 seconds. Okay. The, the constant need for education. In other mm -hmm. words, there are times that people do not understand the ADA laws about letting a service dog into their facility. And if I, I carry now a very nice little card, which I will leave you with mm -hmm. one, talking, simplifying, and telling what the service dog does, and that you cannot deny entry mm -hmm. to a service dog. So it's a constant. Our children know. When I walked out of McDonald's one day and somebody was walking in, a little five-year-old said to his dad, oh, that's Iggy, I know her. That's amazing. It is amazing. Or I, I saw an autistic child who had a, a paraprofessional in junior high school. That's Iggy. Yeah. So the whole thing is education as well as fundraising. And I, I, that's a, the most important message and I have to say that Iggy has been at our feet the entire yes. time and has not moved. She's been really incredible. So thank you, Joan. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much.